you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Right now in fast, a hawkish Fed-induced fade. Stocks leaving back most of yesterday's gains as central bankers tell the markets to get ready for more rate hikes, adding investors should prepare for rates to stay higher for longer. If you don't want to fight the Fed, does this mean you want to stay away from stocks? Plus, Apple, one of the worst-performing stocks in the Dow today, down close to 5%. Options traders betting the stock is heading even lower. How bad is a bruise and battered Apple for the market? And later, we'll go inside two big earnings after the bell. Shares of Nike and Micron on the move. Right now to the downside, the details and the action coming up. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq Market Site. Another full house tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We start off tonight with a double dose of hawk talk from the Fed. After yesterday's big move from the Bank of England, a couple of U.S. central bankers looking to set the record straight for what to expect here. St. Louis Fed President James Bullard saying the committee expects to make a fair amount of additional rate hikes this year and that the market does seem to recognize that. Meantime, Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester told her Steve Leesman today that real interest rates have to be positive for some time before the bank stops hiking. And we're not even close to that level yet. Those hawkish comments sending markets reeling again today with the S&P and Nasdaq giving back all of yesterday's gains. The Dow dropping more than 450 points. The S&P down nearly 25 percent from its all time high. The Nasdaq leading the losses now 1% from its lows of the year. And take a look at Apple. Shares dropping nearly 5%, erasing almost $120 billion from its market cap today alone. We're going to dive into more uh, on Apple later. But does this all suggest that there is more pain to come? Tim. Well, listening to the Fed, listening to Bullard and Mustard today, we heard a couple of things that, that to me should be alarming if you were expecting the Fed to kind of you know, cave like seemingly every other central bank in the world is caving now. But uh, the discussion of real rates when, in fact, we've got CPI numbers that are still kind of north of 8 percent and at least the last numbers we got is scary to think about. Right. And maybe if you qualify that with, well, we want real rates uh, at least north of the core PCE CPI, whatever you want to say. But that was troubling. The, the, the dynamic about, hey, we need to see the, the unemployment level get to at least four and a half percent. So that, you know, first to me, real talk about levels. Uh, and we're nowhere close. We had a jobless claims number this morning. That was the other side of this. Um, the job market's not showing any softening. And, and in fact, Bullard pointed out that the job market's going to continue to be tight. We've got a lot of work ahead of us. So um, listening to the Fed yesterday when, uh, look, Equities, as we say on this desk all the time, are not going to go any higher until we see some relief from interest rates, until we get some some sense of where not only the terminal rate is, but maybe even where long rates are. And again, that's not the terminal rate, but the dollar. So what was yesterday's rally all about? It was a day and a half of a rally in the bond market spurred on by this more of this sugar high that comes from central banks. It's not real. In fact, the U.K. is going to make inflation a whole lot worse. And I think we're going to talk about this later in the show. Temporary intervention is temporary. And here we are, Dan. Yeah, I, listen, I think if you're going to trade data Today by what these Fed governors are saying or whoever the heck they are. I mean, I think it's ludicrous. I really do. And I think that we're going into a period right now, we're going to hear from companies. They're going to give us guidance. And I think that 
If you want to take them at face value, that's probably your best bet in trying to figure out where the stocks or the companies that you own, what the direction is going. Because like day to day, hey, listen, you know, yesterday I did not think that was a great rally. Didn't feel great about it one way or another. But to kind of have it all reversed and then have the S&P close at a new cycle low here, that's some bad stuff here. And the fact that it's caused by some Fed governor saying something, you know, I'm looking here. I just kind of look at the guys talked about this and put my Adami hat on for a second. Neil Kashkari, you know, the head of the Minnesota you know, Federal Reserve. This was the biggest dove on the planet. And now every other day he's coming out and talking about the Fed can't stop until this. Why are we again? Why are we listening to them? Why are the markets moving hundreds of billions of dollars or trillions a day based on this? Because, again, I mean, we kind of know that they're going to stay the course for a while and then they're not. And then they're going to get more dovish and then then stocks will rally. But like to trade them day to day like this is insane. I agree with Dan, actually, on uh, just about every point. Right. So two days ago, if I had said to you, Mester's going to come out and she's going to be super hawkish, it would not have been a surprise right. in any way at all. And yet, so yesterday's activity, more not, I guess, parts of it were completely reversed, some of it not. But it's odd that here we are, same, same thing. What's happening in the U.K. is sort of the opposite, and people are all up in arms there. You can't do that, but Fed, you can't do this, right? <laughs> so you got to find a Goldilocks tightening scheme that isn't going to piss everybody off. Well, that's not possible, and I think that people are really pissed at the Fed that they're going too far. I actually, I, I would be, I would be, if I were in the Fed's shoes, I wouldn't listen to that because they really just started. they got to see it through a little bit if for no other reason that they need credibility, even if they are going too far. So I think we're going to continue to see that. As Dan says, we'll get to earnings. We'll see. Right now, the market's just trading down on the same news again and again. Hawk down, hawk down. Right. That doesn't make any sense to me. So we'll start to see earnings. If I were a company, I would probably guide lower if I guided at all. It was 48 hours ago. I sat here and said, look, the setup was such that we should have one of these mind-numbing rallies, these violent rallies in a bear market. And I thought we were on the precipice of that. And I looked like a genius yesterday. And today I look like my normal self once again. So, <laughs> so here we are. I think we're all pretty consistent. And part of the show is trying to be tactical for opportunities. And I'm, today was really a miserable day, to Dan's point. I thought the market would rally another 3% off of yesterday's action. Clearly didn't happen today. But Tim hit the nail on the head. If you think we're going the way of the Bank of England, think again. And they trotted these people out, I think, to tell that message exactly. Oh, really? Absolutely. Like, if you think that if you think we're going to flinch, pivot in store or anything think like again, that. people, because, again, the only thing that's working against them right now is the market. And I don't think that's in their purview right now. I think the S&P could trade to 3,000 and they wouldn't move. The thing I think is going to concern them, and if you're waiting for a pivot, it's going to come in the form of the credit markets, and we're not there yet. Well, and, and we're you know, looking around the world again. I think we recognize that the Fed is really the one that's pushing other central banks around, and they're doing what they have to do. But when, when the Bank of Japan continues to be uh, focused on yield curve targeting and that they let the yen weaken and what's going on in the U.K., these, these are not solutions. If you think about um, where, where we are in the biggest markets in the world in fixed income and bonds and the turbulence that we're seeing, uh, that's why we're all so pessimistic here. The good news over the last couple of days, and, and it's the last couple of days, it's really three sessions probably, but Fed fund futures 
have topped and have even come down. So the last three days. So the Fed fund futures expectations of the market, despite all these comments out of the Fed, has come down probably 35 basis points. The dollar has come down two and a half percent. Those are the two things I would think that are the most important dynamics to settle in and actually give some ground in the case of the dollar. If you want to get bullish on equities, we have had some relief. I'm not telling you we've reversed, but I'm telling you we've had three days of constructive action there. Isn't the dollar move, though, mainly um, the the pound sort of being okay, stabilizing because it's 12 percent of the dollar index. I mean, and, and I guess the question is, how long do you believe that keeps up? Because, you know, based on what everybody else in the whole world is doing, the dollar is going to be relatively stronger. I, I just but quickly on that. I think what you saw the other day were some ingredients for a blow off top in the dollar. You had everything in the world, dollar overshot. It's the most crowded trade in the world, of course. But you're absolutely right. You start to see a little rebound in the pound. That's the beginning of some normalcy. Yeah, and I guess the point there is if you think about corporate earnings again, I mean, this is going to be a huge hit, right? When you think about U.S. multinationals, every single one of your favorite consumer product or, you know, like they are selling 30, 40, 50 percent of their stuff is coming from overseas. And quarter over quarter, this is a huge number. And the volatility and the lack of visibility, I guess, going forward is going to be the thing that kind of weighs on the earnings. I'll just say this, you know, um, I, I think the, the, the broad markets are going lower. And we're going to talk about Apple. I talk about Tesla. And those are two big components that haven't really broken yet or haven't made new lows like a lot of the other mega cap peers. But I also think that there's probably this is more like Karen's, like, the, you know, there's some interesting values that are propping up here. And you just have to be able to kind of maybe dollar cost average and think about what is that price where you would have a full position on. And if your stocks are down 50% from their highs and the valuations are getting near troughs and you think that the dollar strength is going to be, you know, at its max versus like what you can see six to 12 months out, that, that this is how you have to trade or invest in a market like this rather than trying to trade these insane headlines from week to week. All right. Our next guest warns there are signs of dysfunction in the bond market. Market forecaster Jim Bianco runs Bianco Research. What are you seeing, Jim? What concerns you? Well, what happened in the UK yesterday? I mean, if you go with their announcement straight up, they said that there was a financial stability concern. And, you know, to put it in alarming terms, somebody was ready to fail. And they had to force the price of, of gilts, that's their uh, government bond, much higher so that their marks at their mark to market would not create the problems that we want. Remember, the bond market is always bought with a lot of leverage. We call it repo. And when the prices fall as much as we've seen this year in all markets, and particularly in the last week or two in the UK, there is going to be a lot of stress in markets. And there is in the bond market in the UK and everywhere else. And the UK is, I mean, that's that's a real unique case in terms of the declines that we've seen in that bond market in such a short amount of time, Jim. And I'm wondering, um, you know, when you say somebody could have failed or somebody might be on the brink of failing, I mean, intervention is only for a certain amount of time. And then who knows what what the markets will bear after that. Is there still that chance that that instability rears its ugly head? And is there a transmission mechanism to here? Yeah, I think what it is, you're right. You could call it a stay of execution. That's what we did yesterday, but we haven't solved the problem. The problem is still rising rates, falling bond prices, firms, financial firms that own it with leverage. And remember, in the UK, pension plans also can use leverage in the bond market, too. So they're, they're having a lot of problems in terms of meeting collateral requirements that's posting more money. It's a margin call is, is what that is. And so we're not over this problem. What gets us over this problem? is signs that uh, inflation is coming down or signs that the trust um, prime minister of the UK is going to back off of her 
tax cuts and um, and extra borrowing, which has really rocked the market. But neither one of those is, is happening right now. In fact, Trust came out and reiterated that she wants to move forward with her tax cuts earlier today. Jim, we've been talking about bond market volatility literally for the last 18 months. What's What changed? I know you've been mentioning it, but you're actually now mentioning it in earnest now. Was it the Bank of England thing, or did something fundamentally change over the last 48 hours? Um, I think something might have fundamentally changed over the last 14 hours or 48 hours, because what you saw with the Bank of England is now we have a tangible sign that there is real dysfunction in the market. I've always suspected that the market has had, and I'm talking about the bond market, has had that dysfunction, and we're, we're not going away. But what really kicked it all off was the surging dollar. And I would agree with Tim, if that is peaking and backing off, that would be a big sigh of relief. But if the dollar continues to surge from here, it's going to create just more havoc because the answer to a surging dollar for a lot of these countries is much higher interest rates. And that's the one thing that they can't afford to have right now. Jim, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. Do you think any of this is um, part of the Fed tightening the QT? Yes. Um, let's go back a week ago. Uh, chairman, um, uh, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Jay Powell, said that all rates, in fact, Letter of Messer said it, you mentioned it earlier, all rates should be positive. They should be above, real rates should be positive. They should be above the inflation rate. He then went on and said what inflation rate he's talking about, core PCE. That is estimated by September to be at 4.8%. He wants rates, all rates, up in the upper fours from the three-month bill to the 30-year bond. So I think what markets saw out of his press conference last week is he thinks rates have to go a lot higher. And then you saw the effect around bond markets around the world. Remember, all bond markets trade on spreads. So if the U.S. markets, which is the dominant market, is going up, it's dragging everybody else up. And if the U.S. is going up and that causes the dollar to surge, the only way you could stop your currency from crumbling is to offer an unbelievably high interest rate, which puts you in stress like we saw with the U.K. So let me just follow up on that. I was meaning just the, the, the sales um, from the balance sheet, not the Fed funds rate in terms of just yeah, the technical the you know, seller on the market. The Fed is, the, to be technical about it, the Fed is not a seller in the marketplace right, right now. They What they're doing is they're letting bonds mature and then they're buying less and they're letting their balance sheet reduce. The Bank of England actually would be a seller when they announced QT last week, which they reversed yesterday. Uh, so, but nevertheless, that is a bunch of bonds, uh, you know, um, $90 billion worth of bonds a month that somebody's going to have to buy that the Fed used to buy. So there's a bigger crowding out in the bond market because of the supply with QT. So even though they're not selling, we got to find me a $90 billion a month buyer to kind of offset what the Fed was doing just a few months ago. Jim, great to speak with you. Thank you. Jim Bianco, Thank Bianco you. Research. Tim, what do you think? Well, I, when Jim says he sees liquidity conditions worsening, that's the part of this that we haven't really seen. And, and so ultimately, liquidity is going to also deteriorate around credit events. And we talk about credit on the show all the time. So high yield spreads down to, out to 547. They were 410, you know, a month ago. 
Um, but I'll, I'll, again, I'll just reiterate a, couple, reiterate a couple things. Interest rates also about 15 months ago began to rise. So it didn't just start happening six months ago. We were at 14 bips on the two-year note in June of 2021. We were at 50 by September, October 2021. We know where they are now. They're over 4%. And again, the dollars move, which has been 28%, it didn't just happen. So I, it's not that there's a timeline and a prescription that says if you go 15 months, you're good. But I'm telling you that some of these moves are not recent and some of these moves are somewhat long in the tooth. And as we say, markets tend to price things in in advance. So that's the good news for people. Uh, as we all know, if the dollar rallies a lot more, it's because something truly is broken and it will be a flight to quality and it could get a lot worse. But um, it's had a major move. Coming up, we've got some after hours action. Nike and Micron, the stocks on the move after reporting results. We'll bring you the numbers next. Plus, more pain for Apple. The tech titan dropping nearly 5% today. So how are options traders playing this move? We'll find out when Fast Money returns. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Earnings alerts on Nike. Shares of the company dropping despite beating estimates on the top and the bottom lines. But that follows Nike's hitting a new 52-week low during today's session. Sarah Eisen's been listening on the conference call. Sarah, you got the latest. What's up? Hi, Melissa. Well, John Donahoe, the CEO of Nike, just kicking off the call. He paid tribute to Serena Williams, talked up some of the company innovations and some of the sports highlights like the World Cup this year that they're looking forward to. But what investors really want to hear is the guidance that usually comes later in the call. Here's the story. The numbers came in slightly better than expected, but some of the details beneath the headlines may be concerning to investors. Highlights. Nike did see growth in North America, in Asia, and in Europe, and also less bad growth in China than what was expected. China sales declined 13% without the currency hit, better than expectations. Digital sales are still growing double digits, and so is the direct-to-consumer business, which has been so key for Nike and its stock. That was up 14%. Now, here are the lowlights. Margins were weaker, and the company cited higher freight costs and increased markdowns, as well as the stronger dollar. Inventories were up 44%. Here's the issue. There's just a lot of product 
now flooding into especially the North American market from the ports that were stuck at sea or backlogged in Asia. The supply chain is thawing, but that is creating a bit of a pileup. So Nike has to discount all that that merchandise to get rid of some of the back seasons, hence the increased promotions. It could be helping North American sales, but it is weighing on profitability. Here's the key for the stock and for the call. Is China improving and will it return to growth this current quarter? That is what Wall Street is expectation is expecting. How long will it take to clear all of these this inventory, 44% is a big number. And what is the forecast given all of these pressures as well as the stronger dollar? Melissa, the dollar is really slicing into sales. Overall sales would have been up 10% for Nike. They were only up 4% because of the dollar. European sales basically vanished because of the strong dollar. They were only up 1%. And finally, there's a question about demand. It does appear strong. The brand momentum appears good. But is Nike seeing any sign of a slowdown as the inflation and interest rate shock bites all over the world? Some of the bearish reasons that I've just laid out why the stock is already down 40 percent this year. Melissa. Sarah, thanks. Sarah Eisen. Uh, Karen, this inventory issue, I'm wondering how you start to think about that considering the holiday season is right upon us. You might actually start buying things for Christmas and other holidays at the end of the year um, when you've got all these markdowns at your disposal to buy instead, like in terms of the cannibalization issue of of other fuller price sales. Right. And, you know, it sounded like during the quarter they went through a lot of inventory, but it looks like they ended the quarter with 115 days of inventory, which was higher than the street was expecting. It was around 79 that sounds like a lot to me. So it would go to your point of there's going to be more sales. And I mean, I view this as somewhat of a temporary issue for Nike. They're Nike. They'll figure it out. But they still trade at a very premium multiple. They deserve a premium multiple. But in this market, they're probably not going to get as big a premium multiple. So I'd wait to see how it shakes out a little bit. You own it. It's not. Yeah, it's not so premium of a multiple anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and so if you look at, you know, out to 24, which may be unfair, but maybe by then China's normalized. But you, you have a, a peg ratio, a price to earnings growth for Nike of about one and a half. I mean, we haven't seen that in a long time. So, uh, look, I wish I could have been really bearish, you know, 50 percent higher. But I, I can just tell you at this point, it's hard to get really bearish when the E and the PE on Nike is about as, as consistent as anybody. And I think isn't the worst from China over? And, and as I said earlier, isn't the worst from the dollar? Maybe not over, but but we've seen a lot. We've endured a lot of pain. So, uh, boy, I wish I had gone flat on this name a few months back, but uh, I still hold it. It's hard for me to get really bearish here. There's nothing that they said today that we were surprised that we heard. But have we seen the worst in terms of consumer demand being sucked out because of various other you know, reasons. No, but for a job or definitely not. No, I think that's going to get a lot worse. And I think discounting is going to have to get worse. But a 44 percent inventory is is startling even for DTC heavyweights like Nike. And this is something that I think is in the price. All right, let's move on and get to Micron shares of the company. Seesawing after uh, turning in a mixed report card for Q1. Christina Partsnevelis is going through the report. Christina. Well, Melissa, despite the revenue miss and really weak Q1 guidance, shares did actually pare back their initial 2% drop. Then they were positive. Now you can see they're down again about 1%. Investors, though, they must seem to like a little bit about how much the company plans to cut back in terms of cost. So Micron announcing they're going to cut wafer fab equipment spending by nearly 50% in fiscal 2023 to about $8 billion, which could have an impact on equipment makers like LAM and applied materials. Micron's data center, PC client, mobile, and graphics revenue all all fell quarter over quarter and year over year because of falling memory chip prices and demand. So here's Micron CEO on the call. And please note, DRAM is a specific type of memory chip. Listen in. 
We are modeling a mid-single-digit percentage growth in DRAM industry supply in 2023, which would represent the lowest ever industry supply growth. Well, because of that weakness, the company does plan to reduce utilization in certain areas, and that's to lower inventory. The CFO also warning more is planned, and that's a quote. Lastly, the company soon announced a second memory fam location, or they plan to announce it. They didn't actually give us the location just yet. But don't expect them to all come online at once. The company plans to build these out in stages depending on demand growth. Melissa? Christina, thanks. Christina Partsinevelis, Guy. Yeah, 42 is the low we made, I think, in the summer of 20, and then we exploded to the upside, sold off, and here we are. We're doing a round trip. I will tell you what sort of concerns me a little bit. This has become commoditized, and how do you know that? You look at operating margins, we're 25%. This quarter last year was 37.1%. So margins are contracting, not good. I mean, it's not a great quarter. The good news, though, is the stock has sold off from what, Dan, 99 or so? So at least you have that going for you. Valuation, you can't trade this on valuation. It never really adds up. But you can't trade it off of levels. And the 42 and a half, 43 level makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, Guy just talked about the kind of rally it had last year. And it had a couple really massive moves. And I just think it's important to remember when names like this, when they're lacking visibility and they're making a bunch of big moves, and we really just kind of really don't know how this is all going to shake out as far as, like, they're spending on fabs and such. This stock, as it just overshot to the upside last year, it's likely to do so to the downside also, you know. And so to me, I don't find this one nearly as interesting. Talking and listening to Tim talk about a Nike, I find that far more interesting because I think the brand and I think the valuation are much more defensible. I'd rather play uh, 23 times for Nike down 50% than pay seven times for Micron, which is down 50%. And and I I look at semiconductors, and again, we talk about the cyclicality of the entire space and what we want to follow here. Semis have made new relative lows to the S&P today. So, again, not just lower lows, but relative lows to the market. And this was leadership that we followed for a long time. uh, And today, that's concerning. So, no, I don't think you chase. There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Apple falling far from the tree. The tech titan posting another day of steep losses. So how are options traders dealing with the move? Plus, Tesla's latest delivery numbers and its next AI day on deck. Investors waiting for details on production. And also, any news about that weird robot thing? You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Apple getting hammered today after a downgrade from Bank of America. The firm cutting its rating to a neutral from buy, slashing the price target by nearly 14 percent, citing weaker demand. The outlook is no better in the options market, where one whale is betting nearly $6 million that the tech titan could tumble further from here. Mike Coe's got the action. Mike. Yeah, so Apple, which is always one of the busiest single stock options, traded one and a half times its average daily options volume. That's the second day in a row that we saw that kind of unusual activity in the name. Over 2 million contracts overall. 
There were a lot of big <laughs> bearish bets made, several of them over 20,000 puts. And I'm going to talk now about the November 120s. We saw 23,000 of those purchased for $2.43, a more than $5 million premium outlay that doesn't actually become profitable at expiration unless Apple falls at least 17.5%. But as I said, there were quite a few big institutional prints in the 20,000 contract area, some of those on closer strikes, like the 140s that expire on October 28th. What's your take on this, Dan? Yeah, you know, I, I look at the dates, and, and Mike's talking about them. I mean, the company's expected to report the last week of October, so it looks like there's some weeklies in the October 28th, so that might just be a hedge against a, a long position. And then the other ones just kind of giving a little more room. I mean, listen, we've been talking about Apple for a while here. Um, I think, Tim, you had 120 on it, yep. like, before it started really careening lower um, into the late spring. And you say to yourself, and we've been talking about it, I don't know how this market can make new lows without Apple participating and getting back to, what was that level, 130? or something like that. So to me, I think it makes sense, especially given all of the trepidation about production and consumer demand and dollar strength and supply chains. I mean, the list goes on and on. Right. We had the Bloomberg report yesterday saying they're scaling back and they're telling suppliers how much to make. We got the downgrade today in Bank of America, Tim, and you're saying... We have yet to hear from Apple in terms of softening. We haven't, right? So we've heard that iPhone production, they're not going to increase production. So by subtraction, things aren't so great. But what's interesting about the B of A note is that they are uh, pointing out the obvious side on services where that's failing. But they're they're really bringing in uh, their their earnings number to a place where even the rest of the street hasn't. And by the way, they they didn't cut it that much. They cut it by about 7%. And, And so, and if you... They're still putting a 27 forward multiple on the stock. I mean, if you put their 580 or something and put a 20 multiple on it, which to me is still a major premium and where Apple deserves it, and it's no insult. I mean, this is $115 stock. So I love Apple. I'm not I'm not gunning for this. But again, at that June low, this was 129 intraday. Um, it's 142 on the close from the intraday highs on Tuesday. This stock now is down nine percent in essentially two sessions and a little bit. So um, that is something markets need to pay attention to. Yeah. And if you are uh, in the camp guy, and I believe that you are in the camp, like that the market. I went going, to camp. <laughs> did, you to camp? did you go to Hackley? I, went no, to I didn't. Actually. Math camp. Um, if you are in the camp that the markets move significantly lower, yeah. maybe a 3,200 area, then Apple has to crack more. Yeah, I think at first that'll be the flight to quality in the form of Apple. We've seen it a couple times over the last six months or so. The market gets crushed. Apple hangs in there. I think to your point, though, under that scenario, Apple goes to Tim's levels. And listen, the reality is, I know everybody loves Apple. La, la, la. I'm a hater. I get it. You know, you can at me all you want. Well, why are you a hater? I'm not. I'm really not. I just try to point out sometimes the obvious. Apple in this environment is expensive stuff. What year's that iPad you're using? Uh, 08. Your upgrade cycle is not, not No, I'm not in the upgrade cycle. No, but mid-single-digit EPS growth, mid-single-digit revenue growth, trades at 23 times next year's numbers. Yeah, back out the cash, I get it, although who knows if that's a good thing or not. And it's an expensive stock right here. I do think it probably should trade lower. Karen, you see value yes. in Apple, don't you? Yeah, uh, yes, it's not cheap. But, it, you know, it has a premium multiple, deserves a premium multiple. You know, obviously, we've talked a lot about the services evolution and how that's a different revenue stream, and that deserves a different multiple versus the hardware part of the business. Um, you know, I think I, I, I'm not, I'm long. It could absolutely trade down. One thing I noticed that I don't love uh, of the analyst community, 37 out of 50 still have buys, 10 neutral, two sells. So that's a lot of downgrades yet to come. But it is relative compared to the coverage universe. I mean, within their coverage universe, they have to have buys, sells, and holds, basically. 
Uh, I'm not understanding what you're saying. So, so if, some, if an analyst covers hardware stocks, uh-huh. right, within the hardware stock uh, universe, okay. they have to have buys, sells, and holds relative to each other. Relative to other companies in the space. Right, right, right. right. Not just yeah. on their own. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I don't know what they're relative to, but don't you think that if they're in that camp right now that they could downgrade? I mean, we've seen, yeah. we've seen it just this week, sure. right? Absolutely. So we Absolutely. could see more of it. But yeah. I'm long. I'm staying long. I'm in Tim's camp, not Guy's camp. <laughs> <laughs> my camp was math fun, camp, uh, yeah. by the way. It was camp. mean, actually. Or there were a lot of camp. mean people in my math camp. camp. I like math camp. Sure you did. I'm sure it was just um, thank riveting. You. Mike, Mike Co from Our Options Action. Be sure to tune into the full show tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, Tesla's AI day on deck. And this year, the EVs may take a backseat to a robot. The details next. Another look at markets after today's big sell-off. So what is top of mind for investors as they navigate the volatility? The answers when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla getting hit hard in today's sell-off. Shares down nearly 7% ahead of the EV maker's AI day tomorrow. The company also gearing up to report Q3 deliveries. Phil LeBeau has got the details on what to expect. Phil, are we going to see an actual dancing robot or somebody dressed up as a robot dancing? I've got a little tease video for you in just a little bit, (laughs) Melissa. Uh, Let's start first off, before we talk about AI Day, let's talk first about what's expected this weekend. They haven't set a date for when they'll report their Q3 deliveries. Most expect it to be on Sunday. They typically do it the second day of the next quarter after a quarter ends. The consensus, just over 364,000 vehicles being delivered, with the vast majority of them being Model Y, especially as we see the ramp up in production uh, for both Berlin as well as in Texas. And then you see the Model 3 expects to come in at 140,000. By the way, this would be the biggest quarter ever in terms of quarterly deliveries for Tesla. The annual delivery estimate, it was at one point close to 1.45 million. Now the consensus is 1.36 million vehicles delivered this year. They have delivered just over 565,000 so far. That was the first half. Then you'll add on the third quarter. And then when you take a look at the shares of Tesla, And there's a lot of stories being written about how much of this is because it's now become a core holding for a lot of uh, funds, and therefore it's moving with the market. Uh, Keep in mind, as I mentioned, they are ramping up production in Texas and in Germany, and that's going to be evident in the numbers that are going to be coming out this weekend. All right, let's talk about AI Day. As you take a look at shares of Tesla over the next year, AI Day is tomorrow night out in California. That's where Elon Musk will be. Or it'll start at 5 p.m. California time, 8 p.m. Eastern time. What's expected to be discussed? It's going to be a very technical discussion. And part of what's expected to be discussed is the progress on the D1 chip, as well as the Dojo supercomputer. Uh, Those are two things. Remember, this is as much about recruiting talent as it is giving people an update on where things stand in terms of Tesla incorporating artificial intelligence. And then, Melissa, the video that I said, I know you guys usually don't run a whole lot of video on this show. Oh, you can't. You can't live without it. Just for you, Melissa, we brought in the guy in the morph suit because they're going to talk about the progress with the humanoid robot. Let's hope that we have something better than... <laughs> there it is. Your favorite, <laughs> Melissa, just for you. The humanoid robot. Your favorite. 
I have it on loop in on the my phone. Still. Uh, it's not just oh, to be well, clear with the go. viewers. Uh, this is an actual person dressed up as a robot, yes. which they got skewered for. Suit. So maybe, right, maybe this time they'll have an actual robot. Phil, I'm just wondering, amongst Tesla watchers, are you hearing anything about the increased costs to a Germany factory ramp given energy costs uh, right now? I've heard that discussion out there, and it'll be curious to see what they have to say when they report their Q3 results. Look, that's the concern, not just for Tesla, but for all of the automakers. Really, it's for all of the industries that have plants over uh, in Germany that they are going to be facing higher costs. And so for Tesla, that's going to be one of the challenges as they expand that production there. All right. Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau. You bet. Uh, I think I'll go to the bear. Actually, there are a lot of bears here on this desk. Um, But, Dan, I think Uh, you're your number one bear. Uh, On this one? I mean, listen, whatever comes out, it's going to be a big fugazi. I mean, half their sales are outside of the U.S. All their growth is going to come outside of the U.S. near term. We know what the dollar is. We know that Germany's economy is in shambles. We know that the Chinese demand for these sorts of things is probably not particularly great, especially at a time where they have tons of domestic competition now. I mean, like, the list goes on and on and on. I'm just kind of, I'm done talking about it. How's that? I mean, like, Ooh. it's a joke. I mean, like, like, in this market, it's a joke. You left out the fact that you don't like Elon Musk. Well, I think he's a liar. I mean, I I, I don't know why anybody in a market, we sit here and we try to parse through all this stuff. You know, we go back and forth and he's it's all the misdirection. AI day on a Friday night. Like, who cares? You know what I mean? Like, what is the garbage goofiness that's going to come out of that thing? And and the true believers are just going to buy into it. I mean, I don't know. It's a cult stock. And every market like this will end with this cult stock being unwound. Is it a cult when they are the market leader in a segment of car that everybody else has recognized is a segment to be in, including the legacy automakers? Is it a cult? Well, it's like no, a 2%, it's, 2% global no, market it, it, share. It's not a cult, but, but let me chime in then. So it's a car company then. So if it's a car company, why isn't it getting slammed like all the other car companies? We're about to talk about CarMax. Used car prices are going through the floor. If you talk about it's Tesla. It's got a technological edge that the other car, car companies do not. They do, but people still have to buy one. And, and at the end of the day, people are downgrading auto companies right and left, and the consumer is, is you know, and again, the, if you talk about the, uh, the, the mainstream car, the car for the Americas, this is supposed to be an affordable car. It's never been affordable. But I, I'll just push back on not that, you know, I, I, I'll leave the editorials on Elon. I think I kind of agree with Dan, but I'll let him do that for us or for, for some people. I'll, I'll just say that I think the valuation makes zero sense. And again, if you're talking about market proxies, this is one that actually has not made its June low. It should go a lot lower. And look at those autos today. They got destroyed. It's a car company. Right. Coming up, what's in keeping the investors up at night? We've got the latest Investopedia sentiment survey results hot off the presses. Its editor-in-chief will join us next and throughout Hispanic Heritage Month. We are celebrating our teammates and contributors. Here's one of CNBC's associate producers. I am a first-generation Mexican-American, and I am so proud of that. The reason I am where I am today is because of the sacrifices my parents made to move to this country to provide a better future for my sister and me. It's those sacrifices that give me the drive to excel in my career and make their sacrifices worth it. My advice to other Latinos is echale ganas, which means to give it all you've got and don't wait for others to take a chance on you. Put yourself out there and take a chance on yourself first. I felt for a long time the Fed was very late. Right. I said I'd, I'd be like a squirrel. I like oh. putting a few nuts away because you never know when you're going to need them. Right. right. So we didn't do that. COVID obviously delayed that. The Ukrainian, Russian-Ukrainian war delayed that. There are reasons why the Fed didn't act, so I, I understand it. I, you know, accept it. 
but now they've got to move aggressively. So they're, in my view, going to be less concerned about whether we tip into a mild recession than they are about taming inflation, which if they don't, creates all sorts of havoc. That was Morgan Stanley CEO James Gorman saying the Fed is behind the curve. You can watch the full interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. Meantime, stocks down, volatility up. So as the fear index soars, what is worrying investors most? According to Investopedia's latest sentiment survey, inflation, recession, and rising interest rates top the list. Editor-in-chief Caleb Silver joins us now with an exclusive look at the results. Caleb, good to see you again. Welcome back to Fast. Um, I want to start off with one of the questions, the $10,000 question, because I think that really, it really shows what people are thinking right now. What would you do if you had an extra $10,000 in cash? Yeah, this caught me by surprise, too. We've been asking that question for the past year and a half. What would you do with an extra 10 grand? Our readers, they are retail investors. They like to get into the action. But for the first time, they say, we're going to keep it in cash. They're going to put it right in the bank. That surprised me a lot. Usually they're a little bit more promiscuous, looking to buy the dip, but not this time. They fear that the market has further to fall. Promiscuous, interesting term. Yeah, so they're they're really scared. I mean, they don't know what else to do except for just sit on cash, because I would think that at one point they were saying buy crypto, buy meme stocks, buy funds, you know, whatever it is, all the options out there. And now it's just down to cold, hard cash. Yeah, right now, and especially over the past few weeks, and we fielded the survey right up until yesterday afternoon, yeah. people are freaking out. So they feel like they're on thin ice. Most of them feel like the market has further to fall. They feel most of them feel like the market has another five to 10 percent at least to fall over the next six months. This is as scared as we've seen them. And we talked about this being potentially a contrarian indicator. Sometimes it is. This one doesn't feel that way just because of the preponderance of just anxiety and the things they're searching for. That's really got our attention. What are they worried about the most and has that changed since the last survey? They're worried about losing what they had in their portfolios. They're losing about further losses. They're worried about, obviously, the the hydra of inflation, higher interest rates uh, and what's going on in terms of uh, uh, recession fears. So all those things, one at a time, would be very scary. Put them all together, plus the hawkish talk from the Fed, that's got them really back on their heels right now for the first time. That said, there are always a lot of readers that are looking for opportunities, looking to buy the dip, looking to put money to work. Are you seeing them change the the look of their portfolio out of some of the high flyers and into like a more defensive, I don't know, P&G or something like that? Yeah, we always ask them for their top stocks. And those are remain pretty consistent. And they still are the big names that everybody knows, the home cook and the apples, the Amazons, the Microsoft, always topping the list. You've seen some oil come back in there in the last few months. But this time, those those top 10 stocks have stayed pretty consistent. But they are asking questions like how to buy Treasury bonds, uh, best CD rates right now, the top four government bond ETFs. And then what is a double bottom? That's a big question right now. Everyone's wondering, is this a double bottom? We won't know until we know. But that, that was going to be my question. And when you mentioned also just the discussion about putting 10000 in cash. So to the bond market, because for so many of these folks, they've never invested. Karen gave a little <laughs> instructional video on this the other night. It was her first time buying a Treasury bond. For so many people, 4% cash or effectively what you could get at the short end of the curve is once in a lifetime for these people. Yeah, and they'll sign up for it right now. A lot of them would, that is. Uh, and a lot of them are just saying, you know what, I don't even want to do anything. They're, the choice to do nothing is a choice that they're making as well right now, which I also find interesting because they're always looking for opportunity. They're just not looking for opportunity in the stock market as much right now. You've been doing this for a while. So these what you just talked about surprises you. So can you speak to that? Because it basically means 
something has effectively changed over the last 15 or so years. Yeah, these are retail investors. These are do-it-yourselfers. In a lot of cases, some of them have financial advisors, but they've always looked for opportunity. We were looking at anxiety all the way back in 2007 and 2008. We have data that goes all the way back. We've been around since 1999, but this is sort of not a, a fear of the market collapsing per se, but just that I just don't want to go near it. And I haven't seen that reaction from them since we started the survey two and a half years ago. This is as back on their heels as I've seen them. Caleb, always good to see you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Caleb Silver of Investopedia. Do you use this as a contrarian I love it. I've always liked his work, and I love when he comes on. Um, And, you know, just from a sentiment standpoint, it's really interesting. You think about retail, and I think it's interesting that he mentioned that some retailers have, uh, retail investors have uh, advisors. The ones that don't got banged in SPACs and NFTs and crypto. I mean, the list goes on and on, and they may not come back. Coming up, more from the Nike conference call. The stock is at after hours lows, down about 10% right now. Stick around, much more fast money in two. What a decline in shares of Nike in the after hour session, now down about 10%. The company saying inventories in North America grew 65% the latest quarter, quantifying the impact of FX moves, saying they see a $4.9 billion hit to full year revenue. And EBIT, um, we're down 11% right now. Karen, what do you make of this? Well, that inventory, and they talked about a gross margin Mm -hmm. continuing to decline, 350 to 400 basis points. I think that's a lot. I mean, although this reaction is pretty huge, pretty huge. So I would let it shake out a little more. I think we're going to see some downgrades. And then... Might be your time to. Might be. Yeah. It's not. It's not right now. But if you look at this stock, it's gone all the way back to April 2019 levels. And and for for a company like this with a very different earnings power than it had at that point, but this is uh, extraordinary. I mean, it just seems like a really bad time to try and dump a lot of inventory at massively marked down prices. I mean, you've got the likes of an Amazon and Target. And I'm not saying that it's the same sort of consumer, same sort of merchandise at all. But they are starting with their holiday sales, trying to get people to buy things for the holiday season. You have Nike going to go out saying 50 percent of whatever percent off of this merchandise. You got to think that that's going to rob some of the. Holiday sales. Dan, you're the sneakerhead on the desk. Price. Now, are you going to run out and buy some sneaks? I mean, I'm, I'm buying the stock tomorrow. Oh, it's 85 tomorrow. or whatever. Now, I bought some last week at 98.60, and I said it on this show, and I said yeah. I'm actually going to buy more with an eight handle. I'm no Nostradami over here, but it seemed kind of <laughs> obvious. So you're quite, you're asking the question, how can it be? How can they have this thing? I, they have to do it. This they is the environment to, yeah, we are, and this is how yeah. bottoms are starting because we're seeing some of the guidance catch up. People are kind of having those come to you know what moments here, and that's what we're doing here. And it's not going to be a one-quarter thing. It's going to take multiple yep. quarters. You're going to be yep. disappointed in their holiday sales, too. But you got to start averaging in if this is a name that you want to own for multiple years. There's that three-day rule that we talk about with Steve Grasso. I think you might want to throw that one out the window. You're going to see Nike trade 10 times normal volume tomorrow, north of 60 million shares, 85 the level that Tim flagged is the right level. 44% year-over-year inventory build is catastrophic. They will figure it out. But this is the pain trade now. I think 85 you can get long to name. One thing I think is interesting, it has reversed all of the pandemic, post-pandemic. They're back to below Mm pre-pandemic. And they've made $20 billion since then. Right. And their DTC business is arguably much stronger. Much bigger. Yeah. So. All right. Down 10.5%. Up next, final trades. Final trade time, Tim. She's one of the few people in the world that probably doesn't watch this show, so she may miss this, but happy anniversary to my lovely wife. Wow. I'm going to get you some Hershey's chocolate milk for dinner. Karen. Nice. Very nice there to me. Uh, mine, one-year treasuries. If you don't know what to do, that's pretty good. Dan. 
Um, yeah, Nike. Um, I, I, listen, I think your worst you? case scenario is down to 75. You know what I'm saying? So it's fine. Oh, Dan and I were talking about something. We thought it was another birthday that we wanted to give a shout out to. Right? And? Oh, yeah. No, but I don't well, know. Well, it's my daughter Ellie's tomorrow. Oh, happy oh. birthday, Ellie. Nice. Diaz. Shout no, but I mean, Diaz. you got to give a huge yeah. shout out to Tim's wife. I mean, you know. Oh, that's huge. <laughs> to, to make it, to make it. With Man, Tim here we for go. this long? Whoa. Thank you. It's only what? helping me okay. here. Can you go? We have. Report back, Moran. I didn't know whose birthday it is. That was mom. Mom. Thank you all for watching Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.